No, Reds fans, you didn't just dream that. That really did happen. You are locked on MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Hey, where did my lower third go? Uh, well, do you, you're going to have to trust me. You can call me Sully. There it is. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a baseball podcaster for the last decade or so, and this is wrapping up the final week of my fifth full season here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, swing for the fences on Sleeper Picks, and you can win up to 100 times your money. Download the Sleeper app and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. Follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter and Instagram. I am your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter. Sully Baseball Podcast on instagram let me adjust this for a little bit right there sorry for a little bit of noise there uh recordings i'm giving hey i gave you a saturday show i'm gonna give you a sunday show uh miller thomas and i are gonna get together you're gonna have a monday show who knows how many shows you're gonna get but there's just so much happening here um well let's just get to the to the major story i may need to in fact i did do this last night i checked on friend of the podcast jeff carr from locked on reds because i was worried about him on Friday, the Reds' bullpen let up five runs to the Pittsburgh Pirates at home. They were in Cincinnati in a critical, critical series where they're chasing the Cubs and the Marlins, where they have to basically win. They can't go on a losing streak at this point. And they looked at the calendar. The Pirates are coming to town. All right, we got this. We got this weird back and forth and back and forth game on Friday and the Pirates came back and won by a single run. Okay, the Reds took care of business in game two, right? In the game on Saturday, they jumped out to a 9 nothing lead, partly because of Christian Encarnacion Strand whose name is the nightmare of the person who has to sew all those letters on the back of his jersey. But he went out, he had um, homered, he got a couple of hits, he drove in four, and the Reds jumped out to a 9 nothing lead. Connor Phillips pitched pretty well. He struck out nine batters in five innings. They took him out because, hey, we're up nine bagel. I think it was 9-3 when he left. But still, you think, okay, it's 9-3 in the sixth. If it was 9 nothing, remember, I've made this point before. If you forfeited a game, if you say we can't show up or a game's a forfeit or whatever, it goes down in the record book as a 9 nothing loss. So for the first part of the game, the Pirates are looking around saying, like, if we went, if we stayed in our hotel room and didn't show up to the ballpark, it would be no different than this. But alas, baseball is the greatest sport of them all. You could be down 9 nothing, and still have a shot. And they started coming back, started coming back. 
Alfonso Rivas led the charge. He wound up getting, he drove in five runs altogether. He got three hits and it just kept happening and happening. And Reynolds hit that three run homer. And the minute that three run homer suddenly became nine, six in, I believe it was the sixth inning. Then everyone was like, oh, wait a minute, what's going on here? This was a nine, nothing game. You know, the, the pirates were looking down the, the, the dugout to see which middle infielder could pitch. And then they jumped. It just, it just kept coming. It was the, the Pirates at one point were up. They were down 9 nothing, And at one point, they were up by a score of 13-9. to The Pirates scored 13 unanswered runs against a team that has playoff ambitions. This is why you can't circle the calendar and say, like, okay, this is a win. Because the Pirates had nothing to lose. The Pirates are like, hey, we're not going anywhere this year, but we're going to take you down with me. We're going to take you down with me. <laughs> I, I just, I mean, I'm, I was about to give a very, very specific reference to the movie Apocalypse Now, where one of the uh, sailors on the boat with Martin Sheen, who hates Martin Sheen, gets impaled, and he tries to pull Martin Sheen onto his the, the spear that's impaling him, so basically saying, I'm about to die, and my last action is to kill you with me. Yeah, you know a game's going badly for the Reds when it brings up images of the Vietnam film Apocalypse Now. And the Reds came storming back. And the Pirates I couldn't use Bednar. They used a reliever whose name I couldn't pronounce if you gave me a thousand tries. And then the tying run, the, the tying run in scoring position with nobody out. And big hitters coming up. And the Pirates got out of it. Final score 13 to 12. The Steelers beat the Bengals 13 to 12. Here's the deal, Reds. It's over. If it's not over, if you come back in these final, what is it, uh, six games? There's six or seven games left for the Reds, including Sunday. And right now, they're two and a half out of a wild card spot. And they have to leapfrog both Miami and Chicago to do it. This is not how you do it, folks. And the Reds have been in absolute freefall since the beginning of August. They were 10 games over 500 in July. Now they're barely above 500. And if you look at this stretch, I mean, look at, in some ways, you have to take a step back. The way this Reds team was set up, nobody had any ambition for this Reds team. Nobody. I mean, I think some people, the most optimistic Red fans in the world would have said, hey, maybe this is, you know, get close to 500. I thought they'd be close to a 500 team because I thought there was some talent on the squad. And I did, you know, I, I thought the Cardinals were winning the division. I thought Milwaukee was the only other team that had any ambition for it. And if I was Superman, I just spun the world backwards. We went back in time and I came up to Jeff Carr and every Reds fan in the world and say, hey, on the final week of the season, the Reds would be above 500 and uh, three games back in the loss column, of a wild card spot and have contended for most of the year. If I had asked 
one million Reds fans, along with Jeff Carr, say, would you take that? I get one million yeses. But the problem is, is that they jumped out. First of all, one problem is St. Louis has just absolutely wet the bed this year. And so there was a clear diamond lane to win the division. The Reds were a team that have been a, they've been in position for a playoff spot since mid-June when they brought up all the young kids. So since mid-June, Reds fans have been going, chugga, 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 chugga. We have a chance. We have a chance. Chance to win the division. Chance to win the division. And yeah, they had a hiccup or two, but from, you know, basically from the middle of June right up until the middle of September, with a day or two here where they were they were not one of the wild card teams. But most of the days for that stretch of time, they've been a playoff team. And they have not been a playoff team since September 20th. And they've been uh, been falling like Wiley Coyote since then. So you have the Pirates come into town. You have every team in the National League wildcard slumping. And the bullpen let up five runs on Friday. And that was the bullpen's good day against the Pirates. So, I mean, keep in mind, um, the, who's this? Uh, Connor Phillips let up three runs. So the bullpen let up 10 runs. I don't know if all of them were earned. I don't have the box score in front of me. I just have my notes. And I don't care. Because at that point, you're splitting hairs. They, they let up five runs. The bullpen let up five runs on Friday. They let up 10 runs on Saturday. Which means they're going to let up 15 runs today. Does not look good. If you're a Reds fan, it's not, this, is, this, is, this is horrific. This is horrific, and and I think it's too much. I mean, they're they're down was three games in the lost column with a week to play. That's asking too much. So look at games count just as much in April as they do in September. But when you're running out of time, you can't lose games like this. Uh, by the way, the Padres lost, so I think the the pipe dream of the Padres coming back and winning that finale. Um, it's not going to happen, but uh, it was fun for when it happened. It, it brought up memories of the Rockies and the um, Padres game 163, which was yesterday's trivia question, which I said when the in game 163, the Padres took the lead in the 13th inning. Which member of the San Diego Padres got that hit the home run to give them the lead? Uh, a couple of people, uh, big, uh, big John, John Murphy, uh, John Murphy Jr. and Court Stell. Surprise! Two people constantly are getting the questions right. I gotta have like a a tournament of champions. I can get a bunch of them on for a trivia show. Um, but uh, the answer was Scott Hairston. Scott Hairston of the Hairston family. Uh, Jerry Hairston Jr., Jerry Hairston Sr., Scott Hairston is a proud baseball family. And he hit the home run that briefly gave San Diego the lead. And if Trevor Hoffman could have hold, held on to a lead, then we would have all forgotten the t- 2007 Rockies, except for diehard Rocky fans. So there you go. And uh, with that, we're going to talk a little bit about another team with World Series aspirations that may be letting things slip away. 
Hey, what time is it now? It is time to talk about our friends at Sleeper. Do you know what? The baseball playoffs are right around the corner, and pretty soon the Reds will be watching it on their TVs. Will the Astros be in it? Will the Mariners be in it? Will the Cubs be in it? Will the Marlins be in it? And which team is going to go all the way? I don't know. But I do know this means the clock is ticking on your chance to get 100 times your cash on daily fantasy baseball. It's never been exciting as it is right now. And you got players. I mentioned Alfonso Rivas just the other day. Uh, John Means nearly threw a no-hitter. And you've got Aaron Judge getting three home runs in one game. And you've got stars like that playing at the top of their level. Pick more or less on stats for these stars like home runs, hits, strikeouts, and more. For 100 times payout on Sleeper. Get your picks right and you can win big. So use promo code Locked On, and you'll get $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. Sleeper's terms of use details, and it is currently available in over 30 states. So chances are you're one of those states. Sleeper, let's win some cash. Uh, sorry for the computer shaking a little bit here. Uh, I'm not where I normally record, uh, and, uh, so forgive me. It's not, I don't, the outside here, it's not my normal setup here. So uh, forgive me if it's not quite as stable as it as it normally is. Hey, um, another example of why you cannot just circle the calendar and say, hey, we got ourselves an easy win here. The Houston Astros took one look up and saw that the the Rangers and the Mariners are playing each other. And so if those two teams battled each other, all the Astros had to do was beat the snot out of the worst team in baseball. The worst team in baseball, in terms of win-losses, I'm sure there are other metrics you can use. Well, actually, no, it's it's the A's again. I forgot. The A's have gone on a big losing streak. But the, the Royals are one of them. The Royals are a 102-loss team. The Astros are the defending World Series champs. And they said, okay, look at this is perfect. The the Mariners and the Rangers have to play each other. So all we have to do is beat up the Royals. They had Framber Valdez pitching game one on Friday. And what happened? The Royals came to play. The Royals scored four runs in the top of the first inning on Friday. Okay, that's a fluke. All right. That happens, you know. Even Sinatra has to clear his throat. Okay, there was a fluke loss. Give the Royals some credit. Give the Royals big time credit. They have come to play. And they came they scored a run right at the top of the first inning in the in game two. And then they jumped up to a three nothing lead. And the the with uh um who was it? Uh, Melendez drove in a run, Bobby Wood Jr. Got drove in a run. None of them were exciting runs. Bobby Wood Jr. played some great defense. The Astros chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. But Clark closed the game out and made Jose Altuve did not look very good in the final at bat in the ninth inning. And with that, the Royals have won that series. They have won the series. And today they're going to be pitching Cruz against Brown again. Uh, on paper, this looks like an easy Astro win. But you know, these games aren't played on paper, and this is absolute. This is the series that the Astros 
should have used to push themselves ahead in first place, you know, they would have they would have leapfrogged, you know, the the range. They would have been first place by themselves, knowing they're playing the Mariners starting on Monday. So just win that series against the Royals, give themselves a little, little bit of breathing room where the head-to-head games against Seattle meant they could pummel the Mariners and push them out of the playoff picture. Now, believe it or not, the Astros are hanging on for dear life. Let me let me give you a scenario here. Let's say the Seattle Mariners win today. Okay? Let's just say that, shall we? And let's just say the Royals pull out You want I wouldn't even need to do that. Let's say the Astros win 73 to nothing today and the Mariners win. Those two events happen. The Astros and Mariners are going head-to-head with the Mariners half a game behind the Astros. If the Mariners win today, the Astros are going into the final five or six games of the season hanging on for dear life. And there is a scenario that if they hold steady, I'm not even giving the Royals a sweep. If the Royals sweep, then the Astros are in horrible trouble. But the Mariners, if they win today, and they win the series against Houston. That would push the Astros out of the playoff picture going into the final weekend of the season. They would be on the outside looking they would be on the outside looking in, being desperate to win that final series, which I believe is against Texas. This is why I mean the the Reds looked at the series against the Pirates and they're like, ah, we got this. I guarantee you the Astros looked at the series against the Royals and Got it. Got it, baby. The Reds are done. The Astros might be. There is a scenario, a plausible scenario, that the Astros could miss the playoffs altogether. It won't take much. And I'll tell you one thing that has been basically clinched in my mind is the American League Manager of the Year. Because I've mentioned the Astros, I've mentioned the the Mariners, the Rangers are in first place by themselves. Jordan Montgomery pitched a phenomenal game the other day, shutting down the Mariners. And the first two games, back and forth and back and forth as they may be, the Rangers won both of them. The Mariners, uh, you know, the, the, the Rangers have won their last four games. And if there's any question of who the American League Manager of the year is, let it end now. It's Bruce Bochy. With a division with the defending World Series champion Astros, who for stretches of this time looked like they were uh, a cinch to be the win their third straight pennant. The Seattle Mariners, filled with talent, who for a period of time took over first place by themselves. The Rangers lost Jacob DeGrom lost Max Scherzer, had a grotesque end of August, beginning of September, where they fell totally out of the playoff chase, had horrible losses of bullpen collapses, where the, the they were folding at the beginning of the month, where they looked like they had no shot. And now, with, a, with less than a week to go, or about a week to go in the season, they are in first place, by themselves, and the end of the day today, they will still be first place by themselves, even if they lose 48 to nothing, because they're up two games in the loss column, one and a half games in the standings, 
on the Houston Astros. The magic number is seven. A combination of seven win, either wins for the Texas Rangers or Mariner and Astro losses that equals seven, and they win the division. And guess what? The Astros and Mariners are playing each other, so some of those numbers are going to chip down. The Rangers are in position, even though on paper they're the weakest of the three teams at the top of the American League West, they're in position to win the division and get and rest up during the wild card series. Bruce Bochy, Hall of Famer. If there was any doubt, eliminate that right now. It's going to take this team held together by wire, yarn, and band-aids potentially to a division title. It's in their hands. And you know what? Even if they don't, even if they come in in second or third, with the adversity thrown to Bruce Bochy's face, that they could have said, oh, F it, we're out. Done. Check, please. And we've seen teams collapse like that. Remember the Padres of the Mets just a couple of years ago where they went into the final month of the season as playoff teams and ended the year sub-500? Bochy says, nope, I got this. Do you have any questions? He is the American League Manager of the Year. Look, at just the other day, I was home with my kids, and I needed to get – I was making dinner, and I realized I was missing some ingredients. And I got the dog here, got the kids here, cooking stuff already. What am I going to do? I could do a couple things. I could say, okay, boys – Plan B, we're eating cereal tonight. Okay, boys, plan B, we're eating peanut butter and jelly. Or plan C, let's head on over, dial up DoorDash, and get the extra ingredients and groceries that I need to make the dinner. But Sully, what are you talking about? DoorDash is for getting your Chinese food or your Indian food or your pizza delivered to your home. No, DoorDash is groceries as well. You love the convenience of getting what you want delivered right to your door. With DoorDash grocery delivery, you could stock up for the week or order last-minute cravings conveniently or get those ingredients like I needed to just the other day. By the way, dinner was fine. Thanks for asking. If you need groceries for the week, you don't have time to go to the store like I did the other day, try the grocery delivery. You'll get everything you want delivered when you need right to your door. Look, at we've all used DoorDash for restaurant deliveries do it for the groceries you got thousands of grocery stores to choose from you'll find the best in your neighborhood and the boost your local the local economy with each and every order you'll get exactly what you order or they'll make it right you want even more value you can save on all your grocery and restaurant favorites with a zero dollar delivery fee huh you don't like those sneaky fees that some people give you doordash does it right and easy substitutions right in the app Best-in-class customer support. I, I can tell you, completely honestly, I've dealt with their customer support. They're on it. And when I've had issues about something, they fix it. They take care of it. That's why I use DoorDash. DoorDash delivers groceries exactly how you want it. Now you can get 50% off your first DoorDash up to a $20 value when you use code LOCKEDON at checkout. Limited time offer and terms apply. That's $50 up to $20, no minimum, subtotal, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code LOCKEDONMLB. 
Don't forget that's code locked on MLB for 50% of first order with DoorDash. I actually use it. <clears throat> All right, games are about to start right now. I'm giving you a nice big Sunday bonus here with the ads and everything. Um, it's interesting. The uh, More than one person has asked me because I have friends who are Boston fans and New York fans and who and San Francisco fans who are looking at this postseason going, who do I root for? And there is a, you know, one of the things that happens sometimes is you need an enemy as much as you need a team to root for. So for many, many years, if the Yankees are in, people who hate the Yankees root against the Yankees. A lot of people hate the Red Sox. People root against the Red Sox. The Astros have become the new mustache twirlers of baseball. <clears throat> so people, like, I can't tell you how many people I've asked, you know, said as long as it's not the Astros. And it's and I'm sorry, H-Town, it's going to be that way for at least a generation. But the Red Sox aren't in it. The Yankees aren't going to be in it uh, unless Mr. DeMarco uh, has his wish. Uh, the Mets are gone. Uh, the Giants are toast. Um, and the Astros, there's a scenario where they could miss the playoffs. And there's also a scenario they could get, even if they get into the playoffs, they could get bumped in the first round. So, you know, for it, this is going to be, this could potentially be a year with no clear cut villain. I mean, I know a lot of people and Giants fans are going to hate the Dodgers. So I get that. There may be individual teams that you hate, but you know, it's tough to hate the Rays. It's tough to hate the Orioles. It's tough to hate the Rangers. You know, it's tough to hate the Marlins. You know, it's tough to hate the, you know, maybe someone hates the Braves. I don't think they're quite hateable yet, even though they've had a lot of success. I don't find them quite hateable yet. And, but if for sentimental reasons, for sentimental reasons, if you can't find a team to root for, I'm going to give you a reason to root for the Milwaukee Brewers. And it, it, it comes on several levels. First of all, they are the definition of a small market team. Okay? They have windows of opportunity, which, granted, their window has been open pretty much since 2018. So it's not like this is a sliver of an opportunity. But this might be one of their best chances to do it. They have the pitching staff to win. And they have some of the players to win. And when you have a, a franchise like that, when they have a sliver of opportunity and they actually do win, it becomes a generational event. Kansas City Royals fans had the back-to-back pennants in 2014 and winning the World Series in 2015. And the Royals stink now. But the memory of what happened, you know, it's already eight years ago, but still, if you're of the right age, you have that memory of that and becomes it sort of gives you something to hang on to. The Milwaukee Brewers have never won the World Series. That franchise has never won the World Series. The franchise was created in 1969 when they were called the Seattle Pilots. Sometimes you've seen me wear my pilot shirt. <clears throat> and then that creepy Bud Selig moved them, maybe illegally, to Milwaukee. And Selig, whom I, I have no – I never held back my punches. I've never been a Bud Selig guy. Uh, they never could win it with Selig there. Having them win with Selig not the owner anymore would be delicious because it would mean show that Selig was, you know, couldn't do the job. Milwaukee, the 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 Brewers franchise has only been to the World Series once. Um, <clears throat> Milwaukee has had a World Series champion. The Braves moved to Milwaukee and set attendance records in the 50s with Henry Aaron and Warren Spahn and 
Eddie Matthews and Lou Burdett and all those big stars that they had back then. They went to the World Series two straight years, almost three straight years. Uh, they almost won the World Series back-to-back years. They won in 57. So Milwaukee's had a World Series champion. But for reasons that I still don't 100% understand, the Brewers left um, – I'm sorry, the Braves left Milwaukee. The, the Milwaukee – the Braves should be a Milwaukee institution. But they're not. And they moved to Atlanta. Uh, White Sox almost moved to Milwaukee. But there, there's – and the Brewers showed up there when they did. The Brewers winning the World Series now will make – the question of when was the last time Milwaukee won the World Series, a lot easier to answer. Because right now I have to say, well, the Brewers haven't won, but the Braves actually won. It's kind of like when the Nationals were in the World Series. The question is, when was the last time Washington won the World Series? Well, the Nationals never won, but the Senators won in 24. And actually the Negro Leagues team, the Homestead's Grays, played in uh, in Washington. And this year, so all the stuff you have to throw around, now it's easy. 2019. Done. Boom. Could be just as easy with Milwaukee. But here's the main reason. For sentimental reasons. Besides the fact that teams like the Brewers have small windows. Besides the fact it would be a historical moment for the fan base. Besides the fact it would make discussing the legacy of baseball in Milwaukee so much easier. Here's the other reason. I love it when there is a team that wins the World Series, that have several players who have played many years and have had solid careers without a world championship. And sometimes you'll see a team is assembled, filled with players who have never won it all, finally winning it all. The 87 Twins could be the worst team I've ever seen win the World Series. And yet it was loaded with players, besides the stars on the team like Tom Bernanski or Gary Gaetti. Uh, and Frankie Viola, but players who are veterans from other teams like Jeff Reardon, like Don Baylor, like Joe Necro, like Roy Smalley, who were all getting their first, Dan Schatzetter, you know, all these players getting their first ever World Series ring. The same thing happened with uh, the Marlins in 97, that weird, weird team. But it had the Gary Sheffields, the Moises Alou's, the Darren Daltons, the Kevin Browns, all these people who had, you know, Jim Eisenreich, all these people had very long careers, and they never won the World Series until that moment. Diamondbacks in 2001, besides the stars like Randy Johnson and Luis Gonzalez and the time chilling, you had players like Mark Grace and Jay Bell and Steve Finley and Reggie Sanders and Mike Morgan and Greg Swindell, all these people had long careers finally getting their ring. The Brewers could be one of those teams. Carlos Santana's had a super long career. If he had hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth of Game 7 of the 2016 World Series, he'd have a ring by now. But he's on the team. He's 37 years old, never won a World Series title. Josh Donaldson, love him or hate him, an MVP, had a wonderful career, 37 years old, never has, I don't think he's never, he's never played in a World Series, let alone win one. Wade Miley. Again, late 30s, super long career, wonderful career, never got a ring. Mark Canna, super long career, bounced around a little bit, and has never won. Give him that shot. Julio Turan has been pitching since the Cretaceous period. He's telling the team. He's cashing a check. He's on the roster. He's never won. Christian Yelich. 
oh, MVP, someone who helped turn around the culture in Milwaukee, had his ups and downs in his career, deserves a ring. I love teams like that, that are filled with players that when they win it, you look up and you see it's beyond like, so if someone wins when they're a rookie, that's kind of cool, and I do understand that. But when someone wins and they've been playing, and you're like, wow, I finally, finally won it. The Boston Strong Red Sox in 2013 was another team like that, filled with a whole bunch of players who had never won a World Series before, bounced around to a bunch of teams, the Napoli's, the Johnny Gomez's, the Koji Uehara's of the world, finally got a ring on their finger. So that's one reason why I'm pulling for the Milwaukee Brewers. It would be sentimental, it'd be historic, and for a lot of the players, it would be a crowning achievement for a long career. Now, speaking about World Series championships and veterans, that brings us to today's trivia question. Today's trivia question is this. Who was the oldest player to win the World Series MVP? I'm giving you no hints. The World Series MVP which is, in my opinion, the pinnacle of the postseason awards, sometimes given to the wrong person. Moises Alou should have won in 1997, not Levon Hernandez. Last year, Framber Valdez should have won, not Jeremy Pena. I digress. Which player is was the oldest World Series MVP? Put the answers right down there on the YouTube comment section. Send to Locked On MLB Pods on Twitter and Instagram, or uh, you can follow me. I'm at um, Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Games are about to start, and my day is about to begin. I wanted to give you a good Sunday podcast for those of you who listen. Uh, Miller and I are going to be doing a show later, and I have a surprise. I've put together an interesting show, which uh, I think will be going on at the end of the week if I get everything together, which was actually done on location. So that should be a fun thing to see. So talking about... The Reds and Astros stubbing their toes. The Royals and the Pirates showing up. Bruce Bochy should be adding to his trophy collection. And the Milwaukee Brewers should tickle your heart. This has been Locked On MLB for the 24th day of September 2023. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.